coming to the end of a sermon series on relational formation. What, we are, what we've been trying to say over the course of this series is that the way that God invites us to change is not simply to become better people, but to actually move toward relationship. And the kind of change that God invites us to participate in is the change that helps us come closer to God, come closer to one another. And it's not simply uh, self-improvement. It's discovering something of God that draws us to him and to others. And I think that this is a unique way to think of change. I think when we think of change, it's just mostly about trying to become better people or trying to become happier. And if that's our goal, we get disappointed with Christianity because that's not his goal. His goal of change is to draw us to himself and to each other. And when our goals align with his goals, then we discover the life-giving power of Christ. What we're, we've broken this process down into three stages. Nothing's ever as neat as, uh, you know, as is preached, but there's three elements to change, and it's to understand the truth, to repent, and then to believe or to have faith. And so we started last week looking at the issue of faith, and we'll be continuing that this week, and we're going to be looking at faith to receive. And we want to be able to answer the question, what does trust in God look like? And it looks like the ability to receive. What we're going to do is kind of break down uh, what we receive and then maybe talk about some of the challenges to get there. So I'm just going to go through this graphic and uh, if you've been through transformations, you've recognized this, but I just love talking about this stuff. Um, for the longest time, I, uh, what Christians call the gospel or the good news really didn't make sense to me. <clears throat> I was happy that Jesus died for my sins because um, I, I didn't want to go to hell. It seemed like a nasty place. But I couldn't really connect his love of me and forgiveness and, as we'll look, empowering, I couldn't really connect that to daily life. So I knew that these gifts were super handy for the life to come, but I didn't get how it connected to today. And so I really lived, I think, just like anybody else who didn't know Jesus. And it was mostly about trying harder and trying to be a nice person and... Um, work through personal issues if I was sad or confused, but I didn't really know how to invite Jesus into those places. And so the journey for me for, uh, for how to receive what God wanted to give, the journey for me was through psychology. And I was in a, in a class, it was on marriage counseling. And I remember the, uh, the uh, fellow teaching said that we all have two relational needs, the need to have eternal security, the need to be secure, and the need to be significant. And the pursuit of these two needs drives our whole life. The reason why you choose the friends that you choose, the spouse that you choose, the career that you hope to have or are already in, you are hoping for two things, that you will be uh, loved and accepted and that you will have meaning and purpose. And this is really what defines our lives. And so uh, you might not know this, but it's the criteria by which you make your decisions. So I think about sports. I, uh, 
I like two sports particularly. I like mountain biking and ball hockey. Now, I don't like basketball. I just, I don't enjoy it at all. And I can tell you other sports that I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy them. Guess why I like mountain biking and hockey and why? Because I'm better at them than I am at basketball. It has nothing to do with what a better sport it is. I feel more significant playing hockey than I do basketball. Basketball is kind of embarrassing. Didn't grow up playing it, don't really know how. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so I'm making a decision. I can say, I can make up something about hockey that makes it a better sport, and I'm, I'm mostly lying. The, the reason why I'm choosing one over the other is purely on the basis of significance. The reason why you like certain courses at school and you don't like others uh, is all about significance. The reason you choose certain friends and not other friends uh, might be about security, that you feel loved and accepted by them, but when you're around this other group of people, you feel intimidated and like they're rejecting you. So we're making decisions all day long, every day, according to security and significance. Uh, I find that a helpful thing to know, that our decisions aren't nearly as random or arbitrary as we might think they are, that we're motivated by these two core needs that in psychology seem to be uh, universally agreed upon. So then it makes sense that if these are our core relational needs, that the gospel would somehow address these needs. And so this is, what ex this is exactly what we find in Acts 2, 38. It says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I remember the moment the connection was made to the gospel, which is all about the forgiveness of sins and receiving the Holy Spirit. I remember when that, when the coin dropped and I saw how the core needs of all of humanity are met inside of the gospel. I thought, this is it. This finally makes sense to me. Finally, I get it. That this is all that's ever going on. God has made us. He knew what we needed. And so he brings uh, his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to die for our sins, give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, answering the two needs that he created us to have. And now, Christianity became the good news that it was intended on being. It wasn't just a, a side religion, or as they call it, fire insurance, uh, you know, to avoid hell. It was, uh, it was meeting the, very, uh, the needs in the very depths of my soul. And if I don't discover Jesus Christ, I'm eternally insecure and eternally insignificant. Alienated from God, alienated from relationship, his love and his power, and in fact, condemned. So let's look at these two words then of forgiveness. Uh, I think that we talked about this a little while ago, but it bears repeating. In Luke 7.42, to understand forgiveness, it says that he forgave uh, two people's debts. It's easy in our culture to understand forgiveness to basically mean uh, somebody ignoring what you've done. Okay, don't worry about it. 
Well, when God talks about forgiveness, he talks about actually paying the debt for our crimes instead of us. We were explaining to somebody the other day who, uh, who's you know, going through a, a difficult time and, and so their, their solution was, you know, I'm just I'm not going to work, I'm just going to you know, collect money from the government and, and these kinds of things. And, uh, and so we were explaining to them, okay, if, if that's the decision that you make, then what you're doing is you're asking me and everybody else who works to pay for your lifestyle. So you can go ahead and ask me. You know, would you like me to pay for your lifestyle instead of you? Because somebody always pays. So the government isn't this money pot where you are money falls from the sky and then you just collect some of it, is somebody's paying on your behalf. Somebody's always paying. And so when we break relationship with God, we have not given him what is due him. We owe him. We owe him our honor, our obedience, our affection. And when we don't pay that to him, then somebody has to pay on our behalf. That debt gets forgiven. And so when Jesus pays for our debt, he, he pays on our behalf what we owe God that is rightly his, most notably our lives. Um, now, there's a, there's a phrase, so that's outstanding. And I, I, well, no, I'll get to that later. What the, uh, <clears throat> this gets misunderstood in the church. And one of the things that you'll hear talked a lot about in Christianity is that forgiveness means unconditional love. Now, what I'd like you to do, don't do it right now, but if you, if you don't believe me, what you can do is you can uh, go on a Bible app and search for unconditional love. And you won't find it in the Bible. There's, uh, there's no mention of love being unconditional. So uh, we have most people thinking that in order to feel eternally secure, I need to be unconditionally loved by God. Now, here's what is in the Bible. Uh, everlasting love. Faithful love, that's the love of God. He is forever faithful, even when we're not. Uh, his love is everlasting, it doesn't come and go. It's sure and dependable, but it's not unconditional. You can reject the love of God. You can say, I don't want that payment. I'm not interested in it, I don't want relationship with you. Now, does this mean that we earn our salvation? Absolutely not. You could have just said it out loud. <clears throat> Siri just says, I'm not sure I understand. <clears throat> That's excellent. <clears throat> um, so why is that? Why is it that, uh, that love isn't unconditional? 
because a relationship with God is giving and receiving love, it's reciprocal. And so if I have a relationship with God that's only about receiving and not about loving him in return, I don't really have a relationship with him at all. And so you have people running after security outside of relationship. It's saying to God, hey, I need to feel eternally secure, so you need to love me unconditionally. And I can be a jerk. I can do whatever I want. And uh, you owe me because of what Jesus did. So there. And so we run after this idea of unconditional love and miss the point that the whole idea of the forgiveness and love of God was to draw us into relationship, not into a license to be selfish. And so I can walk you through this if, if this is you know, challenging for you of all the places in scripture where our relationship with God is dependent upon two things, his free gifts and our response to those gifts. And combined, we have a relationship with God. So the first thing that he gives us then is forgiveness, where he pays the debt on our behalf. But there's a second side to the fulfilling of relationship, which is fulfilled through him giving us his spirit. His spirit enables us to love him in response. It's just as much a gift as forgiveness is, and it gives us the ability to love him in return, where we're filled with the love of God, we're filled with his power because we're filled with his presence. And out of relationship with him, we're now able to respond back and love him in return. More of that is going to be talked about uh, two weeks from now when we come back here. What's the result of this? The result of being forgiven is that we've received the love of God. And it means now that there is no more guilt. Um, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, I think that um, we underestimate how motivated by guilt we are. <clears throat> One of the ways that you can tell how motivated by guilt you are is how much you hide things, how much you hide doing wrong things you don't want anybody to see. That's guilt. Guilt is saying, I know that I've done something wrong. I don't know how to deal with it. And so I'm just going to distance myself from relationships. I'm going to distance myself from God. I think we're much more motivated by guilt than we think we are. And God addresses our guilt by not just saying, don't worry about it. He actually pays the debt for our sin, restores us to relationship with God, and allows us to rest in his peace and in his kindness. It's remarkable. And then, uh, as we receive his spirit, we're able to give his love. And as we give love, there's now our shame is lifted. The shame that's described in scripture is where you do things that are, are, uh, are shameful, that are embarrassing. You treat men or you treat women in shameful ways. You dishonor God. You do things that deep in your soul you know are wrong. Romans 2 says that we all have a conscience, that we know what's wrong. And the only way to overcome shame is not by finding more forgiveness, it's actually by walking in his love and righteousness. In, uh, in Proverbs, it says, whoever pursues righteousness and love finds honor. The only way that you're going to feel good about yourself is not if you receive yet more love, 
is if you actually love him in return. And as you walk in dignity, doing what's right, you're going to find strength uh, and honor and dignity in your life. I was thinking about this in the area of, uh, of sexual sin. And I was thinking particularly about pornography and how the irony of pornography for men, women, you can comment on this from your perspective, but the irony of pornography is you're looking at that because you think that that's somehow going to fulfill you or satisfy you or meet a need. But when you look through scripture, there's one thing that is commanded of young men and it's to overcome the evil one. To be self-controlled, it says. If you want to walk as a man in dignity and strength, you have to figure out how to control your hormones and not be enslaved to something, but figure out how to rise above it. And so we have, I think, half the population full of shame because so many men today have not figured out how to find victory in the area of lust and pornography and are emasculating themselves because they don't know how to walk in the victory that's given us by the Spirit of God. And so you can come again and say, please forgive, and uh, God's going to pay that debt over and over and over again. You're going to be forgiven over and over and over again. 70 times 7, he'll forgive you. But that forgiveness will not lift your shame. It'll only lift your guilt. And it's not until you figure out how to walk righteously that you'll overcome the shame in your life and be an honorable man. So you can see how critical the gifts of God are. Without forgiveness, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we're a society racked with guilt and shame, impotent, insecure, and insignificant putting others down so we feel better about ourselves, running after our lusts so we can self-soothe or self-medicate. And God comes and says, let me save you. I'm not going to give you a placebo. I'm not going to cover things over. I'm going to save you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to set you free from your sin and self-centeredness. I'm going to pay a debt and I'm going to give you my spirit. And in that, your guilt and shame are going to be removed. This is remarkable to me. It, you know, if you've been in the church for a while, and if you've been in this church, you've heard me talk about this stuff ad nauseum. This is, uh, this is the message that uh, our forefathers died for the forgiveness of sins and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is the only thing that humanity needs. The gap between where you and I are now and where God invites us to be, that gap is solved through doing one thing, receiving. Receiving his forgiveness and his empowerment to walk righteously and to walk in intimacy without having earned it or deserved it. Yeah. 
so here's the question that needs, to, so that's just, I mean, I don't know of another religion or uh, ideology that comes anywhere close to Christianity. Just, uh, you know, you, you look, what's the way that you feel secure? Is by loving yourself more. It's like, really? Really? How do you forgive yourself? You know, the joke is you can only do that once because you have to die for sin. So, um, but the, like, how do you forgive yourself? No, you need to receive, someone else has to pay for that debt. Significance. Think about how people are running after a magic job. You know, I'm thinking in my head, have you ever worked? There is no magic job. <laughs> like, it doesn't exist. It's, it's, about, it's about receiving a dignity and an honor of doing a hard thing well for the glory of God by His Spirit. That's what gives you a meaningful job. Every job is lousy, as far as I can tell. And every job is amazing when it's done for the glory of God and by the strength of His Spirit. And so there is, uh, uh, the Bible is right, salvation is found in no other name. So what grips me is uh, why don't we receive this stuff? Like, you know, I, I remember telling somebody once, they, they did something ag against me. I said, I forgive you. He says, I'm not asking you for your forgiveness. Wow. Okay, that's clear. I don't need you to forgive me. I was justified in what I did. I mean, I, I feel bad that it affected you. I'm not sorry, I would do it again. Wow. Well, that's, you know, that's different. <clears throat> and here's the thing. So you have the only gap between where we are and the abundant Christian life is, is bridged in receiving. Why wouldn't we? And I think it's this, the unwillingness to surrender control. You know, you reach conclusions as you get older and I, I hope I'll always keep them loosely, but I do have a conclusion. I think control is one of the biggest issues that we battle with in our life. Surrendering control. And I think about our society that is constantly moving us toward gaining more and more control. And then the Christian message comes along and says, give up control and trust in me. I mean, it's radical. But I trace back my problems. It ultimately ends up in mistrust, but I trace back my problems and I'm trying to control. And the reason why I struggle with control is I hate the vulnerability of receiving. I hate being in debt. I hate thinking that I owe someone. I hate that. I would like to construct my life in such a way, I had this, I mean, it's, it's embarrassing to say it out loud. I sound like uh, one of these uh, doomsday people. Um, but I think about it, it's embarrassing. I don't, okay, anyways, I, I have to say it now. But I, 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 think, I think about 
um, how to build a boat or an RV that would be totally self-contained. <laughs> like, why do I do that? I've, I've, I've thought about this. Like, I don't want to tell you how much. It's faded over the years. But, but when I, like, I thought about it a lot. And there's one motivation. So I'm a, I'm a woodworker, so it was kind of amusing to think about how to build the boat or build the RV. But my fear was, I don't know, whenever something horrible happens in this world, I want to be self-contained. I want to know how to have water that I can you know, get out of a mud puddle so that I won't need to depend upon the, you know, the water system in Vancouver. <laughs> I'm thinking about this. Why am I thinking about it? I don't want to be controlled by my surroundings. I want to be in control. And I want to live my life in a way that it might be my fault at the end, but at least it was my fault. And I didn't need any of you. I would say far and away, the biggest issue that I had in getting married was surrendering control. I remember uh, as, I, as I moved out of home, I thought, this is outstanding. And uh, I just get to do whatever I want. Nobody asks me. And then I get married. And Debbie goes, where are you going? <laughs> you know, where? And when are you coming back? And, I'm, you know, and inside I'm going, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is hard for me because I'm just going out. I never had to tell you like a day ago <laughs> before we were married. And now I've lost all control. I am, you know, surrendered. I'm just being funny. But the, but the idea was I had to surrender control. I had to give account. And it didn't go in terms of time. Uh, what I thought mattered to her. And I go, can I just be alone? Can I just be independent? And the answer is always, nope, you can't. So here's my concern for us. What if you're still pursuing control and it's actually your enemy and not your friend? What if, you, what if you're married and you have separate bank accounts simply because you don't have any idea how to be vulnerable? What if you're choosing to live alone simply because you don't play well with others? What if you want to make more money because you don't want to be dependent upon anybody? Like, you know, what if the decisions that we're making are antithetical to the gospel? And so whenever I have a problem, what I'm mostly thinking about, and it has a lot to do with being male, what I'm mostly thinking about is how to get, how to, how to, how to rein in my life, not give it away. Whenever I get afraid, the first thing that I want to do is tighten our financial budget. That's the first thing I want to do. 
which usually means give less to everyone else but me. That's what it usually means. That's where my, my heart goes. Because I'm, I'm afraid, and the answer to my fear is always control. It's funny watching some people, and of course it's never any of you, but it's funny watching some people uh, be asked to volunteer at the church. It's like, well, how, how much time is it going to be? And Sunday's my, Sunday's my day off. What are, you, you know, what are you asking? And in my heart, I just feel bad. Not because I asked, but because that person is in bondage to their own control. And you can't sacrifice or, or just be free to say yes and get taken advantage of. You have no idea what freedom that brings. Control is killing us. It's killing us presently and eternally. So I don't know how you solve problems, but if you solve them with control, you're not solving them as a Christian. I don't know how you feel about asking to be served, for someone to, to ask you to serve. If you feel self-protection rise up, you're not living in the gospel and you've not received it. I'm sorry, but it's just true. Of course you can say no to things. I'm not talking about that at all. But if your reason for saying no is you don't want to be a sucker. You don't want to move outside of what you think you can manage. Um, somebody was just telling me uh, they were preaching a sermon, uh, talking to a pastor friend of mine. He was preaching in another city, and he phoned me up last night. And uh, he says, my message was, People say that God never gives us more than we can handle. And he says, my opening line is, God always gives us more than we can handle. It's called the life of grace, the life of living in the spirit. And so if you live a life that you can control, you're not experiencing the blessings of God. It's just self-managed. And I promise you, it's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. That's what fear will do. So how do we get out of this? Where do you feel like you haven't received what you need? You choose faith. Faith is the remedy of control. Now, let me say this phrase, and then we'll unpack it. Faith makes surrender safe. Faith makes surrender safe. I just think that's such an outstanding statement because uh, I think about... Like, uh, I'm a very logical person, so I just think about what's reasonable. And I go, well, I don't have time for that. I don't have money for that. I don't have enough emotional capacity for that. And that's just obvious. So no to all of that. And then trust takes me into a new di dimension. And he says, There's, I, I actually, I know you don't have enough, but you never did. God speaking, I have enough. I have enough forgiveness 
to cover all that you're going to do wrong when you start moving outside of control. And I have all the spirit I can give you that will enable you to love others. Uh, I can set you free from control if you will trust me. And the Christian life can only be lived by faith. And if it's not lived by faith, it's called religion, and then we're worse off having believed. Faith fixes control because it gives someone better to trust in than in ourselves. I just, uh, oh man, the, the odds, you know, there's a thousand ways to misunderstand this. But I encourage you to live beyond your means. I encourage you to practice the life of faith to crucify the life of self-centered control. You know, there's, uh, <clears throat> and I won't say names, but there's, there's whole organizations that are on money management, and they always begin, oh, this is so risky. Anyways, they always begin uh, their uh, selling features on, on money management by biblical principles for how to handle your money. And the principles are always half of what the Bible teaches. And the half that is biblical is to be responsible and to be a good steward. For sure, the Bible says that. For sure. And to give above and beyond is not what they talk about. It's half the advice that the Bible gives on how to deal with money. And so Debbie and I are on this grand experiment of trying to figure out how to have faith inform our finances, mostly embarrassing. And, uh, you know, we can go in debt and lose stuff, and it will just, you know, be a good lesson learned. So we're no paragon of how to do things right, but we're trying to figure it out. And I don't know how many times Debbie and I she tells me or I tell her, I just met with somebody. I know we can't afford it, but I just sense in my spirit I was to give X amount of money to them. And we, we've been doing this now for over 30 years, and so it's like, all right. It's just another moment to trust in Jesus. But what if your financial view is just all about control? How are you going to get free? Through trust. Now, does trust mean that you become irresponsible and you no longer have a budget? And I'm not talking about that. That's just dumb. We have a budget. I've, every, every receipt I have recorded, okay? Every receipt I record. And we compare it against the budget for that year. And we're trying to figure out how to break free and live by faith and how to trust God with our finances. And if you start living the life of faith, you're going to feel out of control. You just will. And I don't know of another way to live as a Christian. Because what Jesus is committed to doing in my life is killing my self-centeredness and pride. And the only way that it gets killed 
is by trusting him and then him calling me into things that are beyond my ability to manage and control. Uh, and then here's the caveat, and then we'll, or not the caveat, here's the greater tension, and then we'll close. Hebrews 11, 13 is, uh, chapter 11 is the, they call it the, the chapter of faith. And Hebrews 11 just goes through all the heroes of the faith. And it talks about them receiving. <clears throat> faith and receiving are, is how we receive. But then there's this really awkward verse after a message like this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. <clears throat> Here's what faith means. Faith means you might not get the security and the significance that you're hoping for. You'll just welcome them from a distance. That's what it means to live by faith. I might die poor. I might die embarrassed, irrelevant, um, you know, on and on. I, it's, odds are high. <clears throat> but my faith isn't in the results of my trust. They're in the object of my trust. And his name is Jesus. And nothing can take that away from me. A bank account can't take that away from me. Uh, fruitfulness can't take that away from me or lack thereof. I'm trusting in him. And when I trust in him, even when I don't receive what I think I need, I'm still satisfied because he is my satisfaction. He is my life and he is my hope. And when I receive him, even when life doesn't come out the way that I think it should, I'm still at peace and my guilt has been lifted and my shame because I'm trying to be a man who walks in love and righteousness, trusting in him, living beyond my means, living according to his means, and trying to figure out how to have a life that depends on him and that isn't controlled. My friends, we've got to figure out this issue of control. We've got to figure it out because it's killing us and it's rendering us impotent. How do you receive forgiveness? You admit that you're wrong. How do you receive the spirit? You start loving people beyond your means. And in the loving and in the honesty, we get saved. In the moving out of control, we get saved. So God invites us to ask in conclusion, Luke 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Just, just link that up to the previous verse that I just read, that they didn't receive the things promised. And then think about that for a decade. And see if you can figure it out. I haven't figured it out yet. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor. And I says, you know, I'm not sure whether I should... Uh, whether I should do this or be, you know, be believing for this, there's, a, there's this cool opportunity and I, I just don't know whether I should ask God for it. And he said a, a great thing to me. And I, 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 I want to close with this. He says, Greg, I ask God for everything. He says, I start high. <laughs> I just ask him for everything. 
And then sometimes he says no, sometimes he says yes. I just ask for everything because I trust in the goodness of my father. So I just ask. And then sometimes he goes, no. <laughs> Get that. That's a little selfish. Didn't hurt to ask. <clears throat> now that, to me, is a free life that trusts in the goodness of God. Just ask. What if we're not receiving because we're not asking? And what if uh, we're still grumpy, not because we didn't receive it, but because we thought that that was our object of fulfillment when it was really him? Like asking and seeking and knocking and trusting sets us free whether we have a great bank account or the dream job or whatever, it, it, we're just free because we figured out how to bring our life out of control and into trust. And if we do that, we are set free. And we're living the Christian life even if it doesn't sh uh, um, show up the way that we think it will. I really think God wants us to be focusing on this, to be uh, irresponsible in our requests, and then working that out with our Father so that we can crucify this horrible evil called lack of surrender, being controlled unwilling to submit. How else will we crucify these things unless we become a people who are oriented toward receiving and trusting? Oh, Father, I ask that you would give us the grace to be a receiving people. We don't want anymore to simply hide behind being responsible or good stewards and not give to you, not give to the poor with our time, with our money, with our hearts. We want to be set free to receive the gospel. And so would you please, oh, Father, I ask on behalf of my friends, would you please help us live a life of faith? a life of trusting in you, depending on you, surrendering to you, because we know you are a safe place and you hold our life in your hands. And that makes us so secure, we can risk some. We can risk a bit because no one can snatch us out of the palm of your hand. Raise our faith that we could be a free people to receive. Oh.